Alright, today I have joining with me uh, OmniGamer. Um, he was involved in the early competitive Super Smash Bros. community, and he's currently a computer science researcher at MIT. Um, he also just announced the release of a new book on speedrunning called Speedrun Science. Uh, this is how I found out about him. I watched a talk um, from a, the YouTube channel Talks at Google. Um, and then, you know, personally, I, I was pretty into video games myself and watching uh, speedruns um, on Twitch. Uh, so it's, it felt like um, Omni would be the perfect guest to at least talk about how speedrunning and open source and programming are related. Uh, thanks for being on the show with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Henry. Most of my audience are is going to be programmers. Uh, they might not understand what speedrunning is. Um, maybe we should start with that. Um, would you want to maybe go into a high level of what speedrunning is about? Sure. Uh, if you ask most people out there uh, who watch on Twitch, who try to do speed runs, it's simply just playing a game uh, with the intention of beating it as fast as possible. Uh, there's a couple caveats to that, um, in particular, that it's kind of a no, you set up the rules in advance. And those rules might not necessarily align with, let's say, how the game was intentionally developed, uh, what the developers actually wanted you to do with it. Um, so it does involve. Uh, oftentimes exploiting some variety of glitches, oversight, anything that wound up in this final product that shipped as a game. Um, put another way, it's that you're actually treating the game as your medium for doing an optimization problem, where you actually go through the individual steps, try to find the shortest path between from when you hit start all the way up until the end. And by itself, uh, it's a really good challenge, uh, not only just because it has to make you, it makes you figure out all that there is to know about the game, but you really have to be creative to find out, well, what's, what's this extra way that I can save just a little bit more time or maybe uh, find out how the developers did or didn't implement something so you can properly exploit it and gain up a, a couple more uh, advantages that way. I think my, people might be asking, like, well, how does speedrunning have anything to do with open source? At the very least, it has a lot to do with programming, like you said. Like, actually, I just realized that it's code golfing where you're trying to, like, you know, write a piece of code with the smallest amount of code possible and you're trying to, like, optimize that. Or, I guess, optimizing a piece of code to run faster and trying to understand how that whole system works. Right. And uh, a lot of times there's a, a kind of strict process that I recommend people take when they actually are picking up a game and they're like, oh, I want to try to speed run this myself. Uh, and it covers kind of this three-step process of first you need to understand what the heck the game is. What are its limitations? Um, how does it actually uh, perform different things under the hood? And I mean, games are, are they're all software. So uh, there's a formula, there's an algorithm in there somewhere that controls everything that's going on. And there's certain steps that you can take to reverse engineer that, not necessarily even in the strict debugging sense of, of literally picking apart uh, machine code and trying to understand that, but actually just playing through using scientific method, that kind of thing, figure out uh, what you need to know. And then once you have your toolkit assembled, so to speak, you can go through and actually make the decisions. And that's that's uh, what we call routing. So uh, you'd go through, uh, pick out, I want to take this path. Uh, I need this much resources to be able to perform optimally, that kind of thing. And then of course, there's a human side to that too, where at the end, it's somebody pressing buttons to make this happen. Um, and Another way to look at it is that uh, the information that's gained a lot of times is shared over generations. So 
uh, what starts out is basically looking at a closed product. Um, another way to, to, to envision it is that you have the game is kind of its own um, its own scientific field uh, where it's just kind of completely uh, unknown at the start. It's a black box, but you can gradually start to pick away and find out what's going on with it. And then as you generate that information, you're basically building up your open knowledge on what's going on with it. And that contributes from generation to generation of speedrunners. You have different people who will be working on it for a long period of time, doing different contributions, figuring out, well, hey, this is actually the best way to do it, not that other way. Uh, and that starts to contribute to this pool of knowledge that exists, hopefully, uh, until uh, the game is more or less solved, which at least now there's very, very few games that can kind of claim that mantle. Yeah, that's super cool. Would you want to go into how that game came about was it was there a time in speedrunning where like people didn't share what they were doing or like how did they become more open like i guess over time that like, people were willing to like you know write down what they were learning and like this whole i mean that's the part of open source that i feel like um or the parallels that i see with it in open source the biggest motivator there was actually probably just the marches of technology in the early years so Back in the 90s, uh, speedrunning was really starting to, to formulate as an idea, but there wasn't any way to keep organized on it. There wasn't any way to actually share information on what people were doing, uh, why they would want to play a game this way, and that kind of thing. Some of the first instances of, of directed and organized speedrunning actually show up in, uh, for example, like Nintendo Power magazines. They have certain columns every month that uh, give out players these unique challenges and some of them were speed oriented so uh it would be like hey send us your your picture uh, that you completed uh super metroid in such and such a time and then basically that was it that was the the verification is that you send it in and maybe uh your name would get listed maybe it would just get lost in the noise but um that was the big impetus for kind of getting started but all you have is kind of the end result you get a picture um, and, uh, you don't really see the process. So that's just, there's kind of the basic information and that's a limitation of the time. You, you didn't really have a broad access to, um, information sharing services at that point in time and so on. Uh, and not only that, but, uh, if you're trying to compete in a space where you only have kind of the end result to show, uh, there's very little incentive for you to kind of give up any, um, any competitive advantages that you might have. So people who figured out something really cool, well, they didn't have any incentive to try and share that with other people. And this is uh, something that often came up at a, another website um, early on that was big into the scoring community, the arcade side of things, was uh, Twin Galaxies. And uh, one of the mentalities there, at least as, as far as I've heard, uh, is that whenever you perform a run, there is verification that you performed it according to the rules. This was at least far enough out that uh, people could record on VHS. And you'd actually send in your tape to be verified by a judge who is hopefully knowledgeable in your particular game. But the only person who would ever get to see that is the judge. And whatever goes up, to, uh, whatever goes up on the site is just going to be that end time, that score that was verified. And again, it, it disincentivizes this information sharing because people don't know, they don't have to reveal the things that they did to accomplish something better. But um, 
Yeah. And one of the the big issues there is still that uh, you don't have all of these different people coming up with different strategies. Some of them might be complementary. They never quite meet. Uh, So you've got a whole bunch of people that are trying to address uh, the problem of how fast can you beat this game? And they're not sharing their their actual methods. So it kind of is a very slow incremental process while somebody just enjoys basically sitting at the top uh, and other people either work to catch up or um, otherwise. But um, it it was certainly a closed way of doing things. It wasn't until uh, well into the 2000s that people started to get access to uh, DVD recorders. They had better access to hosting sites that actually would uh, keep up the videos. That was actually one of the original purposes of uh, Speed Demos Archive, which was one of the original central hubs for speedrunning. And as soon as you actually got to that point of the video is public, the video is your claim that you have beaten the game in this time, that's a huge amount of information that's shared amongst anybody else who'd be working on that. And not only that, but you also have peer review. Um, you know, in the, the security world, there's there's a really big uh, saying, there's no uh, security through obscurity. Right. It's kind of the same thing uh, here is that the, the big point of that saying is simply you can't really know the flaws in something until uh, it's already uh, out into the open. People have looked at it from all sorts of different angles. And in the same way, like, let's say that you, you found something really good in a game and you put out your video and, and show that somebody else is welcome to come and find, you know what, that's really good, but we can tune it a little bit more this way and make it even better. So it becomes a pursuit, not necessarily of getting somebody to the top of the ladder, but really who can make the game the best. I guess it reminds me of just, yeah, right, like open source in general. Like, you know, you can make a proprietary software that does something, but, you know, putting it in the open and getting feedback from the community creates a better product. And I guess what you're saying is that in some ways, technology kind of led, was leading the way for people to be able to verify and all that. Because, like, before, if all you had was a score, I guess anyone could just make that up. And then mm-hmm. you have video, and then then you have live streams and all these ways. Right. The way to kind of condense it down is that that video artifact, that proof that you performed such a run also contains all of the information, all of the strategies, all of the thoughts that had gone into the game prior to that point. That's not to say that there's all there is. And in fact, uh, some of the most useful uh, details take place on the forums. So at that point, um, Speed does Speed Demos Archive was uh, the basically the, the lone place that you'd go and discuss uh, new strategies for games. There's still like very few people actually doing runs, but you had active communities that were basically helping each other to, hey, I found a cool thing. If you do this, this, and this, uh, you can uh, get this effect. Or I was just playing one day and I fell through the floor. Uh, things like that, just random reports can really help. And the, the main thing is that by virtue of just being a forum, it's a searchable database of knowledge that sticks around for a long period of time. That was kind of the the hidden blessing of working with forums uh, until I'd say probably the last five or six years that kind of fell off. And that's largely just a, well, the march of technology can, can do good and bad things for different uh, scenarios, right? right? Uh, and in this case, it's simply there's other uh, more convenient ways for people to communicate now. 
So uh, rather than making an account, jumping on a forum and posting their thoughts, uh, a lot of people find it easier. It's just, hey, I'm going to make a Discord and uh, that's going to be the place to go for all of the discussion of this game. And that's fine, but it really does take a hit to discoverability. Um, only people basically in the know would know to get to that Discord or um, even have like lasting records of things that were discussed there is not, not as uh, straightforward, but such is what it is. And I'm, I'm sure that there will be solutions to that down the line um, as we basically go through this cycle of producing knowledge, uh, strategies, skills, all the rest of that, and then gradually having it kind of slip away um, as people uh, can decentralize. I'm reminded of a similar situation in open source where you, know, you can talk about things on GitHub issues, but then we end up creating, and this is before Discord, so I guess Slack, and then now a bunch of people moving to Discord, and then people complaining that, yeah, it's not searchable, there's no SEO, and then people are like, oh, maybe it should go on Stack Overflow or, um, or new things, uh, Spectrum, which is a, a, kind of like a forum as well. Uh, and it actually just got bought, bought by GitHub. Um, so it's interesting to see how we're all moving back and forth and what's convenient and then what's helping new people. And also, I guess, this idea of like archival um, in general, like just making sure that the things that we talk about are saved so that people in the future can see the context. Because I, I think what you're saying about the video itself is an artifact, but then it's like it's so much more than that because like it would be cool if like even you know why doesn't it show the button inputs in real time or you know it's explaining the techniques while it's going along and stuff like that so it's like just like with open source it's not just the code but like the decisions behind why certain things happened right there's also a lot of uh, negative results that basically are hidden away there so like if you uh, see a video and they took a decision to go a certain way, there's nothing basically from that video alone that details, well, we did all sorts of testing and we found out that going any other way is slower uh, and by what magnitude and things like that. And that's usually things that, that do get tested out, but it's not something that'll be evident from a video alone. And all of those things are, are really important to basically the next generation, to people not producing redundant work. Um, and yeah, it, it's, uh, with speedrunning, what you see is basically there's oh, so many runners and so many games out there, but the vast majority of games that are run have maybe one or two people that have worked on them ever. And, uh, if those people did not basically spend time to document what they were doing, uh, drop notes about what they were thinking, um, there's, scenarios that have happened in the past where basically um, nobody is able to replicate what they did in a run because they just don't know how. Uh, it needs to go through that process all over again from scratch. Uh, and that's going to happen more and more is basically people get do what they want, um, they get their run, and then they move on. Uh, and if there's nothing beyond the run, in some cases the run might even disappear, but uh, that just means that everybody else has to start from square one. Wow, that's super interesting. The like the idea that like this knowledge can get lost because no one, I guess, is willing to put in the work to write it down. And I think that's where the maintainer aspect that I see comes in, where like yeah, with open source you have users and maintainers. And I guess in speedrunning, which might be a lot smaller, it's like you have people that run the game but might not like actually do the work to figure out anything. They just kind of learn it and then I guess I suppose like execute it as much as possible so they get the fastest time, right? 
and maybe not like those people aren't the ones that are doing the research all the time? Uh, not necessarily, but everybody everybody kind of has their own sweet spot. Um, it's one of the things that I like about speedrunning is that there are many facets to actually being a successful speedrunner. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that you don't have to be at the top of the leaderboards to actually be a major contributor to runs. And so I, I run a lot of obscure games. Uh, and for me, that that's mostly fulfilling because I'm starting from scratch. Uh, I go through and uh, a game that has not been touched before, nobody actually has worked on anything related to speedrunning of it. And I get to go through and basically figure out the details, what's going on under the hood. I get to figure out which decisions are, are best to make in terms of saving time. And then I get to perform it myself. Um, you can find any mix of people who uh, enjoy one or all of those aspects. Uh, but really, it's still kind of a proportional thing. Um, it's a lot of work on one person to be able to cover all the different grounds. Uh, but in the same way, um, if it's not something that they're motivated to do, then it's just not going to happen. Like a lot of the larger communities, because they are large, there's going to be people who will pick up the slack, who will uh, go through and do extra documentation. So if you look around, you can find just oodles of information on Super Metroid, on Zelda games, on things that are, are very popular for speedrunning. Um, and that's well-maintained because there is somebody in among the many people who've worked on it that saw the value in producing that information in documenting it and then keeping it going forward. And it's just, it falls proportionally with the size of the community. So uh, if you have one person, uh, it's a pretty good chance that they're not going to be able to or willing to uh, put the extra effort into document on top of handling all of the other roles. I guess that leads to this question of like, how, like why are certain communities bigger than others? And why do people choose a particular game to speed run and also what keeps them to stay in the same uh, game i suppose there's a bunch of different motivations for why people would want to speed run a lot of people think that oh this is something that people do just to compete they want to have bragging rights over their friends that kind of mm -hmm. thing but it, it's actually a lot deeper than that most of the time especially in the earlier days when there wasn't really an organized uh, running community um, where you could do races, where you could actually track who's doing better. Before all that, it was just a matter of, I love this game as a kid, or I, I really enjoyed this game and I want to get more out of it. I want to take it to another level that uh, is beyond what I've worked with before. And speedrunning is a great avenue for that because it makes you play the game in a different way. Um, it might be something that you played a hundred times as a kid, but as soon as you start to speed run it, it means that you have to look at aspects that you took for granted before, and you have to actually understand what you're doing so you can optimize it better. So it really plays out well, um, when you have, uh, basically people who are motivated by just playing something again for nostalgia, and then they get hooked on this fact of discovery. Um, that's honestly one of the best things about video games in general is you play something for the first time and you reach some critical point, some power up, and you get this whole new eye-opening experience to be able to use it uh, and apply it in your gameplay. It's the same thing all over again with speedrunning. It's just now you get to find the the extra kind of hidden bits that aren't necessarily expected content. So it's like you can make the game, like because normally you beat the game and most people just move on, but now you could, I guess, play the game theoretically forever. And this longevity of that 
it, it'll basically enhance the, like you said, the longevity of something that you already enjoy and that you want to continue to enjoy. Is it normal for, um, I guess, people to speed around multiple games? Yeah, I would say that most people, um, when they jump into speedrunning, kind of they have something to kind of get their toes in the water. Um, they'll work it out and play something that they started out with, and that'll just give them give them the taste for how it's like. And if that really bites for them, then they'll go on and they'll probably play three or four games. The ones who get really hooked will go on and they can do any number of games. But it's really about finding that value because... If you're going to play it and you want that sense of discovery, that still will drop off at some point. You you will get to a point where you've learned everything you need to know about that game to run it in like any scenario, and uh, you might start to lose that. Um, in the same way, it's a trade-off between the, the challenge of doing that, the enjoyment you get from um, figuring out something or uh, getting a, a great run, uh, versus the frustration of having to basically repeat it again for every new game, having to do X number of runs to be able to get something you're satisfied with. So there's always that trade-off there. And I would say most people get to the point where they've tried out three or four games and then they find, okay, I'm, I'm happy with this as my core set. I don't really need to expand it any further. And then there's others who every game that they pick up now, even after playing it casually, it's just like, all right, speed run time. Yeah, because I, I think about it with open source, it's not very common for people to maintain multiple projects because it's just so much scope. Uh, or mm -hmm. I guess you might move across projects, or like I, uh, but I think most people stick with one. There are certainly people out there who have done many, many speed runs, but um, at least my my personal take on that is that if you start to go for a quantity over quality kind of mindset it really does kind of defeat the purpose. Um, you, know, you spend just, uh, let's say, a week working on a game. You do one run, you get your completion, you stamp it in and load it up, and that's it. You're done with that game. It's not really a fulfilling practice. Um, there's still obviously much, much more that you can learn. There's better optimization that you can do. And um, for me, at least, it, it's not the best way to kind of approach this. That's something that will burn you out and also doesn't really produce that great of an artifact in the end either. You mentioned earlier that you appreciate the aspects of speedrunning in the sense that you get to kind of, especially if you pick a new game that no one's done before, you, have, you can do all the work that's required. Um, so what are, I guess, what are the kinds of, like, I guess I'm going to use the word role that people can have when they're trying to speedrun a game and like if they want to get involved in the community you know obviously they don't have to just do the runs but they can like what you said i think it's like researching or documentation those kinds of things i cut so earlier i i divided it up as kind of the the three main steps and um so you got investigation you've got routing and then you've got execution and there's certainly when you jump into speedrunning you're going to be more attached to one versus the others um and I think that's probably the best way to kind of draw the lines, uh, whether you really like busting a game wide open, looking around, finding uh, glitches and ways to get uh, around basically intended obstacles. Um, you've got people who are very into kind of creative number crunching, positing different scenarios, that kind of thing. Those would be the more the routing type is just here's here's the plan that we want to approach it with. And I think it's going to save X frames over this other way. 
that's that can be another thing because you're basically solving puzzles as you go through. Um, and then execution, uh, a lot of that is associated with actually improving your response, basically getting to the point where you can show that a human is capable of pulling off something this good. And that's where I believe a lot of people who really favor that execution path uh, will go with it is I want to show that uh, I want to push what humans are capable of. And this game is the way that I'm going to show that. Um, but yeah, there's really anything that you can do. Um, there's a lot of uh, different room for more skill sets. So if you're familiar with reverse engineering and kind of scientific method, uh, maybe doing the investigation side of things is most appropriate. Um, if you like to sit down and just handle different puzzles um, and work your way through, uh, the best way I can describe the routing piece is, is actually, um, if you're familiar with the engineering process, it's the way of designing a product through iterative improvement. If that's something that appeals, then routing's for you. And then similarly, what I said before for execution also follows. So um, certainly a lot of ways that it can apply through. And uh, even for CS, um, having a lot of that background knowledge and, and so on can help with figuring out how something is implemented under the hood, whether they've set up uh, their data structures in a specific way, whether uh, there's certain basically jumps that occur when an event happens, you can use that knowledge and it'll actually really help out in some circumstances where uh, let's say that there are some, some <laughs> typical uh, errors that a programmer might make or simply <laughs> ways that a, a, a programmer would commonly implement something that you can latch onto and, and figure out and assess much easier. It's funny because with programming, we're trying to find the bugs to fix them, but with speedrunning, you're trying to find the bugs to exploit them. <laughs> um, right. Um, yeah, I guess I asked that the idea of having different roles because I see an open source um I'm not going to say it's a problem, but I think when people think of open source, they think of writing code. Uh, but as I've uh, spent time not just doing that as a contributor, but as a maintainer, I realized there's a lot of aspects of open source that have, that aren't literally you know making a commit. Um, you know whether it's documenting the code or or even marketing or writing blog posts, uh, making tutorials, videos, um, triaging issues. Um, there are so many things that people can do, but like people don't like know that they can do it. And I think a lot of times people can come up to me or they just ask online, like, it seems like this project is so big and they don't need my help. But in, on my end, I'm like, no, we need all the help that we can. But people still think that they need to write code. And um, I think there's a huge barrier um, where they're like, oh, I don't think I'm good enough to do that. But it's like, you can get started in all these different ways. Um, so I guess my question is like, in sphering, is there something like that? Like people think that they have to get in through this one way, but there's like, they don't know that there's all this missing stuff that no one's working on. That's important too. Mm -hmm. uh, like when most people are getting started, they really, they're watching on Twitch or something and they, they just see, okay, all these people are doing runs over and over and over again. So clearly to get started, I just have to start doing runs myself. And they, they skip through this whole uh, understanding process beforehand to know why they're approaching things in a certain way. Or in some cases, um, they miss out on an opportunity to assess a different way of doing things that might actually be better. Um, but what you were, you were saying earlier about different roles also reminded me of uh, kind of 
I, I will call it leadership, essentially. Um, basically, people who will be advocates for the games and their runs uh, to the point of basically making them accessible to other people, um, people who will direct and basically know that, all right, we need to get documentation going. We need to actually get this, this going. Um, I don't have the skills to do that, but I know that uh, my friend, runner number three, uh, really kind of enjoys that kind of thing. So I'll, I'll poke him a little bit and see if he can uh, get that up on a public facing website. Um, things like that are, are immensely important to kind of the, the long, uh, making sure that the information sticks around for a long time, but also that it's bringing in new eyes. Um, you know, most of the games that I've run, I basically have been the sole runner of. Uh, but um, from my own experience, like to do a fully proper speed running, you really need other eyes on it because it's very easy to settle into, well, I'm doing it this way because it's the way I've always done it. And, uh, you know, it really takes somebody else to come in and say, well, that's dumb. You should do it this way instead. It's faster. You're like, oh, you're right. That is dumb. Uh, I'll go. <laughs> Good job. You need another pair of eyes and somebody who will be able to say that. Um, and you can't really do that if there's not really any kind of outreach, anybody who's actually making the case for this is a fun game that you would enjoy if you speedrun. Here's some unsolved problems that we are trying to tackle. And here's all the information that we know and all the rest of that. So um, there are definitely roles beyond just doing speedruns. Uh, that are available basically to anybody who's passionate about it and with a, a good mind for trying to make sure that the run continues to improve, that the community is is happy with their game and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I think in that sense, it's just there's you know a coordination and uh, what you said, leadership role that is missing maybe from a lot of you know games. And I think in open source, we have that problem too where um, it kind of feels like a sort of medium is the message type of thing where, you know, when you watch the stream, you assume the only thing they do is, you know, execute. And then when you go on, when you think about open source, you know, you look at their GitHub and it's all about code. And so you assume that all they do is write the code. And it's like this, all these, you know, almost like meta level things that are that no one's thinking about because that's just the culture of how we work. And it's like, how do we, you know, even advocate for advocates in the first place? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it really is a, a difficult question to basically say you should be passionate about this because um, without also having somebody really passionate to to impart that on them. And I guess in a similar way, both of these activities are volunteer work for um, usually in open source, right? And also with speedrunning, I guess. Yeah, and that's honestly what's helped. I, I believe that's what helped speedrunning kind of thrive is that people are willing to share information amongst themselves. Um, there's a, a bunch of reasons why I believe that could be. It, largely, um, there isn't really a, a financial or monetary way that you can be successful with speedrunning right now. Uh, so it is all for the love of the game and possibly some amount of competition. Um, it, it is a, a significant feeling to be able to say that you are the best in the world at something. Um, and be able to have, uh, these are the artifacts that basically attest to that ability. And it's just like, if there's somebody else out there, they got to put up too. Um, and that, that actually does drive a lot of people, but I would say that that is not the major driver across the, the broad spectrum. I think if people that aren't 
that don't really understand speedrunning, they look at something, they think about, wow, they spent so much time playing this game. They probably played this game a hundred times. Um, and you would see people that like, they they mess up like maybe like a few hours into the run, they start over and it seems like a waste of time. Um, I guess, how do, how are people able to continue to do that? Especially if the, the game, the speedrun itself takes so long. Because yeah, I guess there are games that are like, you could beat the game in like 10 minutes and other games are like four hours. Mm-hmm. So when people are doing runs, when, when you get to the point of knowing basically a solid route and everything, and you're going through and actually performing run after run, trying to get a particular time, the key part in that is that um, the key part in that is that uh, people know kind of what, a target in their head, what they want, what they believe they can achieve. And what you're going through when you do run after run is it's kind of a Zen uh, iterative process. You know that you can hit something and you're really searching for that target, one, to prove it to yourself that it can be done, but also to prove that it can be possible at all. Um, and that's something that is it's really important to kind of staying sane with this because it's not just this is a mindless activity. You have to focus the entire time. And, um, you know, whether it's a short run or a longer run, um, really, as you're going through, it's still something that you're invested in. You've spent the time to understand the game, to practice, and you want to do as good a performance as you can. So uh, another way to think about it is more like a musical performance. Um, When you start out, you're not very good. Uh, but by the end, you can really do something creative that's impressive to yourself, something that proves that you are capable of these things. And not only that, but it feels good to be able to take your 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 reflexes, your abilities to that next level. And that's a lot of what people are looking for. So even if they have a failure, uh, they have something that doesn't go quite their way and they have to reset again. Uh, so long as basically the uh, the effort that you're putting in uh, matches up to the expected release from accomplishing that, it'll overcome the frustrations in getting there. Yeah, I guess that, in that sense, it reminds me of just, I guess, like sports in general. And like, there's like a hundred meter dash and then there's like marathons. Um, and mm-hmm. both, it's like, it seems like the same. Given that it's um, something that people spend so much time in, I'm assuming that a lot of, there are people where it's like, what is, I guess the question is, what is, I guess, the right mindset that you should have when going into doing speedrunning? And, you know, like if there's occurrences of burnout, like how do people deal with that? Is that something people even talk about? Really, the, the best way to approach speedrunning is that you want to have fun. And so long as you are finding enjoyment in the activity and that that enjoyment is uh, outweighs basically the frustration from following it, um, then it's something that is, is worthwhile to do. Um, it is another form of entertainment. You're trying to produce certain artifacts and things like that, but it's not, uh, it's not something that, um, when you reach a certain point and let's say that, um, in a lot of games, there's instances where luck plays a big role. Uh, if you're basically, you know, you're good enough, but you keep getting stopped because you don't get the luck you need, that will absolutely weigh into you on frustration point. Um, and there are plenty of people who, uh, will burn out before they get to a point that, that really satisfies them. And then they'll kind of sour on the whole process. I mean, the ways to avoid doing that is, uh, just like anything else, you'd want to make sure that you kind of practice in moderation, um, 
a lot of what you learn and what you practice will stick with you way longer than you could expect. So it's relatively easy to kind of jump back in at a later point when you're, you're more prepared to actually follow that pursuit. But, um, yeah, it's to kind of know, know your limits, know when, uh, basically you're, you're too, um, upset or, uh, otherwise frustrated to keep playing that game, uh, and when to back off and kind of let it cool down. Um, in some cases it might never return. You, it might just be completely out on it, but, um, it really is up to kind of whatever your own standards are as well as how much you are enjoying that process. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I feel like, um, with, especially with open source, um, it's really easy to have a sense of, uh, I guess, guilt in not, you know, when, when people you know, are making issues, like there are bugs here and I want this feature, um, even though you know that they you don't owe anyone anything um, and they're not paying you, uh, you still feel like you have to help them. And it's hard for people to get over that sense of knowing that there are people relying on you. Um, I know that's not necessarily the case with speedrunning because at least with code, literally there are like companies where their code is relying on your code in some sense. And there's a dependency chain. So I don't know if there's anything like that in speedrunning. I would say not necessarily with speedrunning, but it closely parallels what goes on with streaming. Um, The two are, are pretty interrelated these days. Um, you can speed run without streaming, but most people won't, um, is kind of how I'd put it. But, uh, for a lot of people, you get into this habit where, all right, I'm going to do runs today and we're going to try and get this new record. Um, you will get to the point of basically feeling guilty, uh, if you miss out on a day, like people were expecting to watch you today doing this run or people, um, it was part of their daily routines to either watch at work or they, they uh, just it's kind of their nightly thing to, to watch you and you interact with them. And you start to feel guilty if you don't provide them the content that they expect. So a lot of people might feel uh, compelled to continue to run well past uh, what they actually want to do simply to keep up those interactions. So I, I would say that that is a, an understandable thing for a lot of uh, speed, speed runners now, but it does kind of... Uh, focus mainly in on the streaming aspect. Yeah, I think you use a good word, like compelled. Um, um, I actually tried streaming, but this is open source. And I already had the feeling like, oh, am I gonna, people are like, oh, you're going to make this a weekly thing. And I think um, one thing you find with open source is like, you intended it, like you said, for fun. And what happens is it turns into this obligation that you didn't even expect out of nowhere. And that's kind of like why I feel like in some ways, I almost want to tell people not to do open source, even though that's what I do full time. <laughs> um, and I'm like, it's not like, why they're like, why would you tell me to not do open source when that's all you do? Um, but I think it's more like, we shouldn't be naive about kind of the downsides or the problems of the culture that we have in open source. And we need to figure out how to, you know, work towards fixing that. Um, and I think, you know, same with streaming. It's like, once you stream, people are like, well, why aren't you here today and tomorrow? Um, you know, and it's weird because you would think people care about you as a person and people do, but especially online, people say random stuff and then you kind of take it too personally or seriously. Um, yeah. I, I'd say a, a big problem with that too, is that, 
uh, viewers might not actually realize um, how much it's wearing on you. Um, like streaming is a very kind of personal thing. You have an interaction. Oftentimes they've got a camera. You can see kind of what they're going through with their facial expressions and so on. Uh, on the open source side, uh, a lot of times if you're just interacting on, on a GitHub or, or Jira or something like that, uh, you see issues and you see people who are poking you for feature requests and things like that. You don't even get the the human uh, a reaction kind of face of it. You don't know that, hey, I'm, I'm placing additional burden on them. Um, they're stressed and so on. But in the same way, you as, as a maintainer or the designer of a lot of these things, you don't want to basically make it seem like this is such a burden on you that people can't ask for, for things that they want. Um, so it's, it is a balance of trying to, uh, put yourself out there while also keeping your own workload manageable. And, um, it's a very hard thing to strike. I actually think it's, well, it's interesting because I, I, it's like, I want more, like, I guess, personality, quote unquote, and like showing that people are human in, uh, in GitHub, because I think the problem is that, you know, we're still behind the screen name. Um, no one knows who you are. Um, and I don't know who they are either. And I think that invites, you know, this sort of entitlement and demanding kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, introducing that human element can also have its own problems. But I think, you know, when I meet people at a conference or a meetup, you know, in person, that is, I feel like it's almost impossible for someone to actually, like, to your face, say they would never say whatever they said on GitHub. If anything, they apologize. They're like, I said this thing, I'm sorry. Um, but I guess with streaming, it's it's weird because it is so, like what you said, it's so personal. And maybe as a streamer, you don't, you're like trying to put on a good face, right? And so maybe you're feeling bad, but then you decide to do it anyway. Um, so mm -hmm. I guess maybe scheduling, like having that set schedule can be, I think that can be beneficial in a way, but also obviously if you can't keep up with it, then you're going to have to reduce it. Because I think in open source, you know, I don't, no one, I feel like it's not common for people to like, oh, I'm doing it. I like, you batch a set of time every day. You kind of just go on it whenever, which maybe that's part of the problem. Like I feel like, you know, the whole issue with you know, notifications in anything, whether it's Twitter or social media, and GitHub is just another form of that. Um, I think we talk about stuff like inbox zero with email, and same thing with like issue zero or notification zero, and it's like impossible to go through all those. And I think setting aside like, oh, I'm only going to look at this, you know, once a week or this hours a day is actually better or more healthy. Um, GitHub just added this feature where you can add your own status. And I know some people think it's more of a social media thing, but I think it's useful to tell people, like signal, I'm busy, I'm doing something else, I need to focus. Um, and I think that's great when people are trying to like ping you to do certain things. You're like, oh, they're busy. Yeah, any, any additional kind of communication avenue out there that people can understand where you're at, um, where they're at, however it needs to be, uh, is honestly really important. It's just part of kind of the, the human way. You got to understand where the issues are and then uh, balance out your response to them. Are there, um, I guess, when you're getting into speedrunning, are there like guides into like how to do it? Like, so with open source, there aren't that many guides on how to be a maintainer. And I think that's something we've been trying to work on. Um, and each you know project has its own readme and contributing guide. 
Um, and I'm sure, you know, you can be like, hey, go to our Slack or Discord. Um, are there, like, even, like, norms and etiquette that people have? Or is that just different per game? Or is not even a thing? You know, a lot of the most popular games will have a lot of kind of supporting uh, information for them. People who will make tutorial videos, uh, discussions of how to do this or that. Um I've even seen breakdowns of uh, why basically they, they would pick a certain path over another one um, in a drawn out conversation, because that is important to the people who run that game. And there's enough of them that that content is, is reasonable to make. But um, as far as just doing speed running in general, there's relatively little content out there. Uh, every once in a while, there will be a video production that kind of breaks down some tips, um, but they're usually pretty short and not really all-encompassing. Uh, as far as I know, the the book that I wrote kind of covers that in as good a detail in a general case as you can get. Um, and I'm hoping that'll uh, really help people to get started and, and see what's happening beyond the stream, so to speak. But... Um, Doing the general guidance and bring up is something that really has not been uh, brought out or taught very well at this point for speedrunning. Yeah, I guess it's still like early days, I suppose. It's like... It's, it's somewhat, but people have been doing this for, for years and years still. Um, and it's just a matter of, um, let's say that there's, there's 20,000 speedrunners in the world right now across all the different games and so on. Um, there's only so much content there that makes sense uh, to help support that. Obviously, uh, actually, once the content is there, it'll help to bring more people into the fold and get get through that a lot better. But um, right now, basically, the demand isn't quite high enough that people go out and do that extra mile to make it a priority. Um, and really, a lot of people don't even necessarily understand what they're doing in speedrunning. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, they haven't really thought about, oh, this is the process that I go through. Oh, this is the steps that I follow when I pick up a new game. They've just have their own inherent way of doing it. And then it's not something that they wanted to formalize or even thought to formalize and uh, bring out to help somebody else. So they, they share their tips on what they did, but they leave it at that. And uh, that's really all that uh, a new person might have to go on. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of um, open source too, where it's like um, maybe you know there's that inflection point where it becomes not mainstream, but like a lot more people come in than you know can you can handle, I suppose. Um, you know, after GitHub, so many more people got involved into open source, not just, you know, people that were paid. And now maybe it was normal for people to not have to worry about those issues. But now we have just the issues of scale and dealing with just so many people being, like just even getting involved in programming in general, right? And I think it's only recently we've been thinking, okay, sustainability of open source is a real problem. Um, you know, we have people that are spending their volunteer time working on projects that, you know, all the top companies in the world use, but there's only like literally one person or like a few people, you know, my project included working on these things. It's like, you know, they should get either paid or uh, we should, they should invest resources into making sure this thing stays 
um, sustainable for the long run rather than just um, using it. And then once it's over, we'll move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm reminded now too, there is a a more direct crossover within speedrunning community and and open source uh, that has to do with the uh, task community. So this is this, what this means is tool assisted speedrunning, um, TAS. Uh, and these are the folks that rather than relying on human instincts to go through something, um, they actually will go through and they'll play a game frame by frame. They'll have complete introspection abilities into what's going on in memory, um, be able to drill down exactly into what's going on uh, with certain interactions so that they optimize it to the frame. And that is a, a pursuit that is directly an optimization problem. Um, when you when somebody comes out with a new task, it basically is a new proof of this is what we posit is the fastest way to beat this game. Uh, and it provides basically another peer-reviewed opportunity to see the inputs that went into it, where the improvements were, and that kind of thing. But where that hits on the open source side is that you need pretty advanced tools in order to do that in the first place. So a lot of that community is actually uh, contributing or at the very least heavy, heavily using um, the tools developed by emulator developers. Um, many emulator developers nowadays are, do have open source projects. You can go and contribute. Um, the One of the ones actually used most by the task community is called BizHawk, and that's a completely open source platform uh, that incorporates a variety of different uh, cores to handle different architectures and gaming systems. But uh, that's something that you can go, you can check out their GitHub repo, see kind of how it's it's grown and changed and it's turned into its own monolithic thing. And the whole point there is that you need the accuracy, uh, what you're playing in the emulator should as closely as possible represent the system that it's intending to emulate. Um, but also uh, the tools that go into developing that and making it better. So let's say being able to look into the memory state on a given frame, or even uh, having a full-featured debugger associated with playing through, that's something that is very valuable as a developer. And that's what those tools were originally created for, but is also super valuable when you're trying to actually optimize what you're doing, finding out where you can actually save that extra couple frames um, as you're going through these things. And uh, that is a a pretty significant thing. it's still actively developed. They have a new major release probably every few months. Um, and uh, that's something that has helped tremendously across many different games, as well as um, just showing what is possible in some games. Like the the point of a task is way different from that of, of what you might do in a real-time run, uh, which is how we refer to it when uh, handled by a human, um, in that you are trying to show what's best, but you also can do things that go beyond what a human is capable, things that might need to be, you're, you're pressing buttons at 30 hertz, you're mm-hmm. uh, going through and you do some impossible uh, combination of inputs that you can't do on a physical controller, um, something like that. And it's honestly very entertaining and feeds back into a lot of real-time running um, where you have these tremendously difficult tricks and then people get creative and they find out how to pull them off in a not so uh, humanly impossible way. Um, so that that's really helpful. Um, and honestly, those tools I've I've gone through and, and used them so many times. Uh, they're extremely helpful. And I'm very gracious that uh, we have a community that's that devoted to 
um, kind of the archival um, process of preserving what made a game system, um, but also kind of the following the proper development practices and producing tools that uh, enable people to do what they need to with them. <laughs> That's funny. That was going to be a question I asked, like, or do people make tools? Um, mm-hmm. That's cool. So emulation itself, like, I think that TAS kind of helps preserve a game so that, you know, people can actually play when the system doesn't, like, you can't buy it anymore, I suppose, right? Um, yeah. there. I mean, that's, it's something that we are, I think, just getting to the edge of now. We've got all these consoles and things that people are playing that are 20, 30 years old almost. Um, and at some point, they're going to break down and they're well past any kind of production date. Um, now that nowadays there's people who produce FPGA cores that try to mimic them appropriately and that kind of thing. But, um, really you need to have this documented and and set up while we still have the context of the original games to compare them against. Yeah. That's a really interesting, um, aspect of maintenance where it's like the actual game itself might not exist anymore and we should preserve it. Mm -hmm. And I'm very glad too. There's, there's a whole branch of people who are dedicated to archiving games and their original context. And um, that's something that I'm glad is around and I'm hoping uh, will still be around and and very capable uh, by the time that my kids start to grow up, for example, and they can start to enjoy some of the things that I experienced as a kid when I was playing games. That's kind of my hope and, and, and all that. I guess I have a general question of, um, given we're talking about tasks and emulation, are do you know of like, are there a lot of programmers in the community, or is there even? I don't know how you would really know that, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would say that a programming ability is a common skill that overlaps with some of of speedrunning, uh, especially when you're talking about the investigation and routing side of things. Uh, the people who tend to enjoy that side of thing are already kind of in the engineering mindset. So uh, they've probably encountered some of that or they'll have learned it somewhere along the way. Um, but I can't say for sure whether, uh, let's say that um, the proportion of people that plays games and the, and has a CS background and the proportion of people that speed run and have a CS background, whether that's actually a different proportion. Um, there are certainly a lot of people who do both, but um, as for whether they're more likely to speed run as a result of that, I can't say. But um, there are certainly plenty of people I know who have at least dabbled in some amount of programming or, or computer knowledge. Uh, and that does help to contribute to kind of a, a proper approach to uh, getting through speed runs. Yeah, and honestly, maybe the opposite would be true. Well, not opposite, more, more of getting into speed running might make people more interested in becoming a software engineer or I guess even QA, right? Or something. Right. And actually like a lot of my friends, uh, who are speedrunners, um, they have varied backgrounds. Uh, I, for example, one of them is a, a ceramics engineer. And, um, so he, he might've encountered programming just a, a bit when he was in school, but he really didn't have to, uh, understand and appreciate how a game was constructed until he started speedrunning. And, um, it was, my pleasure to hear that that he was also kind of enjoying that process of figuring out how games operate under the hood. So um, that's certainly something that a lot of people, as they kind of 
get in deeper, they'll naturally pick up a lot of uh, computer science and programming uh, knowledge just by virtue of working in software. Um, I have another general question of, uh, so there's so many different kinds of games you can play and, you know, like I was thinking that it seems to be a, there might be a big difference between speedrunning, like an, I guess, quote unquote, old school game and then a game that just came out this year. Um, do you, uh, would you have, right, what do you think about that? I guess. Uh, there's certainly generational differences in games. Um, and some of it is technical. Uh, there's, there's something very different that happens. Let's say when, when you exceed the bounds of, uh, an array in a MOS 6502 base system, uh, as opposed to, uh, a modern system, which was going to be running some variety of Intel or, um, power PC or otherwise, uh, and that you have, you don't have the extra layers of, uh, basically security protections, operating system level stuff, um, the old system, the 6502, it's going to happily do whatever. Uh, you can completely break it. And uh, so long as it doesn't get into an endless uh, loop state, like you will continue to, to rough along and keep playing. Whereas uh, now if you hit on some uh, out of index or underflow or anything else like that, um, the system could just crash. And that's that. Um, but also there's been a very big difference in how games progress and are developed. Um, you don't have this as much in, let's say, the indie space where games are, are more typical with uh, kind of their older counterparts. But um, when you have these big narrative-driven games, they tend to be packed with content. And the content is still things that you have to get through, um, whether it has the conveniences of let's say being able to skip through cutscenes or being able to bypass things that are, um, let's say there, but not necessarily challenging. For example, like an auto scroller, um, it can tend to drag things out and make it not as enjoyable of a speed run. But um, that doesn't mean that people certainly still don't try. Uh, there's lots of people who invest themselves in new games, um, especially. Uh, the Nintendo titles. So um, it, right when they came out, among the first things that people did with um, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey is just start going ham on trying to figure out what's what's every kind of trick and otherwise that I can do to help try and advance a speedrun. And that's really good to see. Um, it's just something that doesn't quite take hold in every game simply because um, the ratio of interactive time to non-interactive time uh, starts to get kind of out of whack with more modern titles. All right. I guess the more popular a game is in general, the more likely more people want to speed run it. Okay. That's, that's a typical thing. And that's what I tell people too. When they, I, I've talked to a lot of game developers uh, actually about like what would, what makes a good game for speed running. Right. Um, and there's a lot of kind of quality of life things that you can include to make games that way. But the real core of it is make a fun game if you make a fun game people will continue to want to play it and they will find new ways to enjoy it that you might never have envisioned um, and that's part of the reason that some of the most popular speedrun games are as popular as they are it's just it's that much fun to keep playing then i will find more ways to play it yeah that's really funny because it, it makes me think like 
I'm assuming that there are game developers that now that speedrunning is becoming more of a thing, they like purposely do things to make it easier to speedrun. Like like what you said, like making it easier to skip cutscenes or make the dialogue go faster. Or, but it, yeah, like what you said, it would be weird if they like purposely added like exploits or something like that. But yeah, they certainly don't get that far. But um, one of the things, and this is uh, an open source concern too, is kind of what do you prioritize when you have to issue a patch? Hmm. Um, for many uh, developers of these games, like oh, there's this cool speedrunning exploit that, that they found and it'll skip like this amount of content, but it's really kind of obscure. Um, it, it takes a lot of steps to set up and do. Um, that's not really something that should be at the top of your list to remove. Like it, it might ruin part of what you wanted for the experience to be, but your main thing is still, who is the average user? Uh, are they going to stumble on this by themselves? And is that going to ruin the experience for them? If not, then it's really not something that you should put as a priority to uh, go out of your way to fix. And more so, if you know other people are still enjoying the game by virtue of having that in there, uh, certainly it's it's uh, makes it as an incentive to leave it there, or at the very least, not um, leave it for later on the list of, of patches that you might make. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that exact question about patches. And that reminds me, that that's the same as open source, where like, we get a thousand issues, like which ones are you actually going to work on? And, you know, the problem is that the person making the issue is obviously very frustrated that they found this. I would say maybe, maybe we should congratulate them. Wow, you found this like thing that we never expected. Um, and it's like, should we fix it and and have to weigh that against every other thing? I guess for a game developer, it's like, you know, if it doesn't affect everyone else, why even bother to spend the time? Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, and that is a sad reality is that, uh, um, well, on the speedrunning side is that there are patches. Um, versions do change that alter speedrun routes rather significantly. And then that becomes a whole resolution process where people have to try and reconcile, okay, what is the correct version to try and do runs on? Um, if there's still a way to basically perform it on an old patch that had this or that trick in it, um, do we continue to allow that? Or do we separate that out as its own thing? It's it's kind of messy, but um, there's there's plenty of instances where that's kind of gone um, either way, right. uh, and that's really up to the people playing it to decide. Yeah, that part is really interesting because the messiness is like, oh, that's reality. <laughs> um, a different versioning of you know packages and open source and like you know one, two, three, all these different versions, and like I guess the same like. Once there's a new version of a game, now you have to refigure out all the, you know, techniques and if it even work anymore. And so you have to start over in a sense. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of, I guess, even competitive gaming, right? Like, like say Super Smash Bros. When it was, you know, an older version like Melee, they didn't really have that, and so there's no chance of that happening. But then now with patches on online all the things that you've learned can possibly go away in the next patch. And it depends on the developers on, do they even follow the community? Do they listen to them or not? Right. And it, it's something that uh, I'll say, especially for a competitive medium, it is always going to be a kind of a cat and mouse game um, is that you've, you found something and you want to try and create an appropriate balance where people have reasons to play this or that character. Um, but 
uh, every change you make is going to have unintended balance consequences elsewhere that might result in something else getting way more powerful. Um, and it's kind of like up to the players to figure that out patch to patch, but, um, it can be kind of disheartening as a developer that the things that you intend aren't always how they turn out when you actually release a patch. Yeah, I guess it's a level of like humility there. It's like, do you want to let the community get it go away and do all this stuff? And I think it seems better because like it makes your game more popular and exciting. Uh, but I guess people have a certain vision yeah. of what they want it to be. Well, especially with uh, the way that esports is developing, uh, this actually was a pretty huge issue, I think, in years past with um, popular games like League of Legends, where they might release a patch in the middle of a competitive season, mm. and it just completely upends everything about how the game is played. And players get upset, um, viewers get upset because things don't go their way, um, and then uh it, it can generally be unpleasant. So uh, depending on how quickly that patch cadence is and how long people have to kind of adjust to what are, what are, what's changing that um, can, well, make for some unfortunate scenarios. Yeah. It makes me think like the game itself is like an API and the public interface is obviously the, the just like these random facts and like how it works, but I mean, they could fix a bug somewhere else and it changes something and you have no idea. And it kind of reminds me of just like testing uh, with code in general, where, you know, you have, you want to make sure that something doesn't regress. So you write a test for it. Um, and then when you change the code, it doesn't do that. But we don't, there's no concept of that, I guess, in in relation to like competitive gaming or speed running. Like none of the game developers. Well, you can like, think oh. of, uh, you can think of the runs and, and the matches and however else as your kind of unit tests. Yeah. Um, like when a new version comes out, you probably don't know everything that actually changed in it or some of the things that changed might it be too minute to even list in a patch notes or something. But um, when you start doing your run and you find out, hey, this doesn't interact the way it used to, uh, well, there, there's your case. Um, and it's a little bit more of a long form of how to get through it. But um, that's certainly something that comes up kind of every time there is a new patch is people will go through and see, all right, what what got ruined as a, as a result of this patch and um, how can we get around it? It's, it's like a bad Christmas present. Uh, yeah. Um, so moving on to, I guess, a different topic. Um, I guess in, in open source... You know, open source is possible because we have the internet and everything is online. And I find it interesting that programmers like going to conferences a lot um, and meeting up with each other in person. Um, do you get the feeling that, you know, for something that is like live streaming and speedrunning, it's all like a you know, online thing. Like, do, are people like, do they want to do more in-person things? Oh, absolutely. Um, and really, it's kind of a shame um, that it doesn't get more notice, but they're all, there are all sorts of different uh, community-driven events. Um, and some of them happen online. Plenty of them also happen in person, where you'll have basically speedrunners from a certain region. They'll get together and they'll play games for a weekend um, just together, and they'll stream the whole thing. And it'll be just a, a good time to enjoy the company of somebody else. And this is something that I experienced a lot when I was uh, much younger and going through the, the Smash Brothers scene is we would travel out to tournaments 
And you'd have the tournament there, of course, but the main event was also just meeting up with the people who shared your same interest and uh, basically spending the time with them, learning from them, laughing. Um, that's part of basically the experience in getting engrossed in what you're doing. Um, right now, the biggest event on the speedrunning side that kind of fits that bill is, is the Games Done Quick events, um, which are annual, uh, twice annual charity uh, marathons, uh, where a marathon is basically just a bunch of speedruns uh, played according to a schedule uh, 24-7 for an entire week. Um, and that's kind of like the main showcase of our community to the mainstream rest of the world. And it's a bonus that we get to raise uh, all sorts of money for awesome charities as part of that. So it gives a substantial, um, it gives something substantial back to the world as part of doing our activity. And that that's really fulfilling for me. But um, that's one of the main reasons that people will go is so that they can just see their friends who they communicated with online, the other people in their community who have helped to route things. And it, it does kind of give them the opportunity to really live it up um, to attach faces to the names and then just to better enjoy each other's company. Right. I think same with me with, um, you know, you talk to these people online all the time, but then you actually don't like, even for the project I work on, I didn't even meet some of the people that work on it with me for like years, um, until we had the opportunity. So I think that's uh, really awesome. Um, yeah, something I've been thinking about a lot recently related to meeting in person is um, like, I think individually, a lot of us maybe suffer from anxiety or what we talked about, like guilt and stuff before. And I think it's weird because a lot of times I feel like we don't really talk about it. Like, I think, you know, someone might get burnt out and it's like a well-known person and they'll write a blog post and then we all like feel bad, but then just in the day to day or week to week, we're not really talking to people about the issues that we have. And so something I've been thinking about recently is trying to create some sort of support group system um, for maintainers. Um, and you know, all it is, is just meeting up with people, um, maybe online or locally. And I just, it seems like an obvious thing to me, but we are not doing it. So I'm hoping we can do more of that. And yeah, anything that can make you feel like you're a part of something bigger is really good reinforcement as far as I see it. Um, so yeah, anytime that you do have an opportunity to meet up with somebody, um, who is doing something similar to you, um, and in this case, it's like they're working on open source projects, they're helping to maintain that kind of thing. Like just knowing that there's other people out there who kind of enjoy that aspect of it or, uh, are doing that same thing is a positive reinforcement on yourself to keep on doing it and to work on improving. Um, yeah, I guess a specific issue related to working on open source, or I guess when we're talking about streaming, like I found that, um, this is a really weird issue, but it's like, you can get known for a certain project or a certain game. And I think that can lead to its own problems. Maybe like you, like I, I would use feel the, I'll use the word trapped. Like for a lot of people, I'm known as the battle guy. And, um, and I think that can be negative in the way that first, obviously I'm not the only person that works on the project. And so I think it doesn't allow visibility into the many other volunteers in the project. 
Uh, and also, it kind of reinforces the idea that, like, for myself, that my self worth is in the fact that I work on this project. And so, you know, like being like seen as a leader or whatever, um, it makes it harder for you to, uh, like, if someone says something negative, then you take it personally. Or even at the very, uh, in a different way, maybe it's hard for you to leave. Um, maybe there are people, like, say, in speedrunning, they are known for certain games and they feel like they can't switch to something else because everyone's looking up to them for this one game. I, I think that there are certainly cases for that. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate that uh, it kind of leaves such a, a big impression where you, you feel dedicated to a particular cause, even beyond um, your own enjoyment for it anymore. Um, I mean, in my case, I'm, I'm known for a number of things. Um, most publicly, uh, that like, I would say don't really define me or don't define the things that I like to do. It's simply these, for whatever reason, were the things that got the most visibility. So thus I'm, I'm the, the dragster guy, or I'm the, uh, time cop guy. Um, and those are certainly projects that I've worked on, but those weren't my main projects. I, I treated them just as much as I've done anything else. It's just simply, those were the achievements that really stood out to people for whatever reason. Um, but when we get to this point of, of streaming, um, I'll just say again, like the, one of the issues with streaming is this expectation that you do something um, that is the content that people expect. And if you've reached a point where you're basically done with the game, you've hit your goals, but that's kind of your main viewer source is playing this one particular game or just a couple types of games, that kind of thing, um, then you can definitely feel trapped. Uh, it, it's something that um, you realize if you swap to something else, you might lose a lot of viewership. Uh, if streaming is something, how you make part of your living, like that's, that's a huge concern. And uh, it's something that I think a lot of people are still realizing as uh, like streaming is still a pretty much brand new industry. Um, everybody's kind of learning the ropes and what goes into it, but uh, definitely getting content locked, uh, getting stuck with kind of the image of the person who does this or that is kind of a negative reinforcement of um, being stuck, being the only person who, who does that, or that has to be your thing forevermore. And that, that can be dangerous, especially people do find other things that they want to do. They want to move on. Um, but uh, I don't know that there's a, a true way around that right now. Yeah, I, I think I see that in, I guess, almost any creative field, you know, whether it's music, right? They have a, the artist has a certain established, you know, um, style, and then they decide to do something different. And then their audience is like, why did you do that? Uh, or YouTube channel, right? Or artist. Um, I think it's not going to be that different uh, with streaming, but it's like, are are people okay with moving on with something um, because people should theoretically appreciate whatever you're doing because they like what you're doing, not just that specific content. And they can move on to someone else instead. But maybe there's also this, assuming that they're doing this for their job, um, the other pressure is that, well, if I switch, they have a fear that people won't like it and they, they won't get paid kind of thing. Yeah. So are there 
a lot of full time. I mean, it's new, but are there a lot of full time streamers, um, or is it mostly a hobby for people? And do most people want it to turn into a full time thing, or is it just like I want to do this for fun? Because I think in open source, you know, most people do it for fun. I think some people want to do it as their job. Like it's like the dream to do it. Like which is what I'm doing right now. But now I'm like, I don't think it's for everybody, <laughs> and I think they kind of gloss over the negative aspects of it or the may not negative, but like the struggles or problems. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm the way I'm going to interpret that is, um, that the, how many streamers who speed run, um, basically are able to make a full time living off of that. And, um, at least from, from what I've seen, there's very few people who can provide speed running content as their main content, not just one of a variety of things that they do and to be financially stable uh, on a full-time streaming platform. Um, and part of that is that where all the places where speed running and streaming match up well, um, there's also kind of a self-defeating uh, point of it is that uh, if one of the things that you're trying to do with speedrunning is get to the point where you have a run that's so good, you don't feel that you can improve it any further. Um, and that also happens to be your mainstream content. Well, what happens when you do get to that point of, of getting that perfect run? Does that mean that your content is just no more? Are you going to grind at it even further, even though that you don't really want to improve it? Um, and that's, like I said, one of those places where you can get trapped in, in being stuck in a certain content type. So uh, a lot of streamers who do speedruns tend to mix it up with other things uh, to keep a consistent viewership who enjoys all the different content from them. Um, and, you know, streaming is, is just new. Um, people are figuring out all the time, like, what is uh, possible for them. I would say that a lot of people kind of have two big ideas of grandeur with streaming. It's kind of, oh boy, I can just play video games all day and I can earn a wage from it. Um, the reality is that it's much more uh, related to the brand, the, mm -hmm. the personality of the person playing. And a lot of people might not be able to, to sell themselves in that way. Right. Um, and you can be successful, um, with a lot of effort, but to be really successful, it does require a ton of time, um, equivalent to, or more than even a full-time, uh, position elsewhere. Um, and people need to know that that's kind of the effort that's going to need to go into it if they expect to actually, uh, earn their full living wage off of it. Um, and then to become super successful and popular, like you're basically also rolling against luck, uh, because there's something that has to lead to that breakout performance where you, uh, get suddenly a bunch of extra interest or otherwise. And that is that at this point, it does come down to luck. There's not a whole lot of ways to turn yourself into a viral sensation. Right. I think it's very similar in open source, um, that, you know, most people are, just programmers that want to share their code with other people. And when you think about turning into a full-time thing, it's, there's so many, I would even say skills, I guess, like what you said, like personality and those kinds of things for streaming that you don't normally exercise um, as a developer. And then it just, it's a totally different set of skills that it seems like only a few people are capable of doing at the moment because it's just not something you are learning. Um, mm -hmm. so 
even personally, like I'm hoping that my experience with doing this, I want to document even that so that other people can not copy because I'm sure it, every project is different, every every person is different. But just saying that this this is possible, and um, we can all learn from each other. Um, so yeah, agreed. So I think we can uh, wrap up in a bit. Um, I guess this is more of an open-ended question is um, what are, I guess, some of the biggest issues facing the community at the moment? And do you have any <laughs> ideas on how to solve them? So the the issues that I see are probably going to be pretty different from what a lot of people might say. Um, I would say that it, Right now, we are missing some very significant uh, resources for general speedrunning. Um, and some of these things were satisfied before, but uh, like right now, there's very little sense of quality control. Um, when somebody does a run and they are the only person to have done a run for a game, they get placed on the top of a leaderboard. And that's what people see when they go and search for, Hey, has this game been speed run? Oh, this one guy has a time. Cool. Um, there is no, you can't tell a quality from a time alone. Um, like that might be their, their one and only run that they've ever done. It might be very poorly routed. Who knows? Um, and there's no kind of authority or guidelines for people to really shoot for as far as what constitutes, Hey, this is, this is a good run, uh, versus, Hey, this still needs work. Um, and I have some thoughts on how that might be improved, but it's certainly, um, something that I think a lot of people don't even realize is a problem. Um, and then on the other side, I really do see as a, a pretty big threat is, what we were talking about earlier, the the decentralization of information, where it's no longer easy and straightforward to go and find out, well, what's the knowledge base for this game? Uh, what's been tried before? What's, what's understood? Um, there's a lot of resources out there, maybe, but some of it might take place in relatively obscure or even private areas that um, the discussion happens, it's gone through, and then it's never touched on again. And um, that's that's a pretty critical thing that really people need to be have uh, an easier way, a more convenient way of documenting information that actually does put it out public um, and that uh, people can find it, uh, whether they're going to pick up that game tomorrow or in 10 years. Um, it should keep that information just as valuable then and now. Yeah, I think the resources thing is interesting because it's almost like if you're the first person to run a speed or uh, run a game, you almost have a sort of responsibility to kind of shape the future of this game in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. And like setting yeah, up. Mm -hmm. One of the just my my quick note on that too is that uh, kind of the way that it happens now is the first person who runs a game, um, the the kind of de facto site for organization organizing speedrun leaderboards is speedrun.com um if you're the first person to run a game you're most likely going to be made moderator of that game <laughs> so that means you get to write the rules and i would say that there is a an increasing danger in people who uh do their first speed run coming up with more and more uh inane rules so uh things like you must run on this exact version of this emulator um that 
is old and has kind of bugs with it that aren't practical for uh, compared to a real system, or you must do this in a run because I feel like it. Um, those rules tend to pop up from people who, well, they should have better guidelines on uh, what makes a, a proper category and things like that. They, they simply don't have the reference or don't care to follow it. Yeah, I think that would be useful. Like, I was just thinking, it's almost like not just techniques that can be shared across games, which I'm I'm assuming there could be, but also that the rules in themselves. Yeah, why why aren't there like I guess like oh I we've ran this other game and this is the rules they have here. You don't have to come up with it by yourself. It's like, like yeah. Mm-hmm. In the old days, this was satisfied. Um, by Speed Demos Archive had a common submission rule set, but obviously there's going to be exceptions, some games that don't quite play well with those rules for one reason or another, whether it's technical, whether it's a, it enjoyment or entertainment purposes. Um, but uh, after after the SDA era, that's become less and less common. Speedrun.com doesn't uh, provide any kind of template for rules. It's simply the community settles on whatever is best for them. And if the community starts out as one person uh, who may not have the best interests at heart, it can kind of ruin things going forward, or at the very least make it uh, a little bit more of a sticky mess to to work through and, and correct them. And then um, I guess re- regarding decentralization, it's funny because in another sense, centralization of um it is it can also be well we we have this we we want more decentralization in our like in the internet itself but then i guess with information we still want it to be centralized because then we want it to be accessible to people so it's funny that there's this weird opposite thing yeah there's there's benefits to either way and it's just simply the uh the pendulum has shifted one way uh for the time being and i'm sure it'll switch back at another point so um we'll see we'll see where the future goes with this awesome um yeah i think uh that's all the questions i have we went through a lot um thanks for coming on to the show Uh, oh yeah it was great thank you for having me um i guess where can people find you um online well, uh, now that uh, most of my activities actually writing and, and working on the book are done, um, I tend to stream uh, a few times a week, uh, be working on different speed runs or playing games casually. And you can just find me uh, twitch.tv Omnigamer. Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, at the Omnigamer. Uh, and um, you can check out my book, which has a lot on the topic we discussed today and a whole bunch more. Um, by going to speedrunscience.com, and that'll take you to the product page. We should be launching. Um, finally, have copies in hand in sometime in fa- in uh, April. So look forward to that. Okay. Thanks. Thank you so much, Henry. <laughs>